0: Hi, this is William Sadler, I'm an actor, you've seen me in heaven knows how many shows, and I'm here as a guest on Spoiler Country.
1: People of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal of the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle, with our hosts John, Anne, Kenrick, and Jeff. Welcome
0: to Spoiler Country.
2: Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707 656 2080. Again, 707 656 2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horsey, doing this again solo because Kendrick gets off having a grand old time. And today on the show, we got Jeffrey Haas, Jeff the Get, the big guy himself, the Jeff Big Haas, whatever nickname you want to throw out there for him, talking with the one and only William Sather. You know, he played Chester Puller in the Pacific, Luther Sloan in DS9, Sheriff Jim and Roswell, and he was, you know, Senator Trent in Hard to Kill. He was the Grim Reaper Death in... Bill and & Ted, and the new Bill & Ted movie that just came out, Bill & Ted Face the Music, he's death in that as well. And Jeff got a chance to sit down with, with uh, Mr. Souther and talk about his movie career and him in general, and they had a they had a really good time. So let's just sit back to Jeff and William in the Netherlands.
1: Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today, we have a very special episode. We had the fantastic William Sadler. How's it going, Mr. Sadler?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm here with Spoiler Country.
1: And honestly, this has a great honor um, to speak with you. Um, you're in so many movies that I've loved growing up and even now <laughs> that uh, Thank I'm, you. I'm geeking out a little bit talking to you. But um, so don't mind my uh, quick speaking, a little bit of a stutter. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Geek away. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. So, how's things going in, in the world for you right now? I'm doing well. I'm, you know, the I was in the middle of filming
0: something for Screen Gems called Shrine, um, in Boston, uh, and we got a, a couple of weeks into the filming, and then the pandemic hit. They sent everybody home, and we're about to we're about to start that up again. They've, you know, figured out how to do it safely, so that you know, old farts like me don't get sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh they've done some rewrites and they've adjusted how they're shooting it, and so on It's really quite extraordinary how they're flying people in from you know other actors from other parts of the country it's just the, the um, just extraordinary the hoops that they've had to jump through to get back to finish this movie that they started. But it's been, you know, it's been strange. It's been fun. I've enjoyed being home um, with the family and the grandkids. And, you know, we made a garden. I grew a beard and then I shaved it off and then I grew it again. Then I shaved it off again. (laughs) So, but yeah, my hair is super long right now. They'll cut it when I get back to the set, I'm sure.
1: Now, when um, you're making a movie, it's basically almost... The few times I've seen the set or been on a set, it takes almost a small town to make a movie. And obviously, in COVID times, that's creates some complications. So yes. how are they changing the filming to, I guess, basically cut people out from the set? Well, they're, what they're doing is they've... And this is, in,
0: this is also in conjunction with the Screen Actors Guild. I mean, they're like, everybody's on the same page with Best Practices um, but what they've done is they've sort of broken the crew, the cast and crew up into pods or groups. And there's group one, group two, group three, and group. And the actors are in group one. And anybody who has to get close to them is also in group one. Everyone wears PPE. Everyone gets tested three times a week. That's the makeup people, hair, you know. Uh, camera crew people that have to be in close proximity to the actors and just you know st- stuff like that the, the set is always closed which isn't all, which isn't the case usually you know there are visitors or producers or caterers can come and go I mean you know it's unless there's a nude scene or something it's there it's usually not a closed set but these sets are all closed if you're, not, if you're not in that pod or that group, you're not in the area. I don't know. There's like They've rewritten things so that <laughs> like, I, I play a priest. I'm addressing a crowd. I'll be speaking. They'll shoot me in an empty church addressing a crowd that's not there. And then they'll turn around and place people at distance and then shoot it again and then place people at distance again and shoot it again. I mean, I don't even, I'm, I'm, I don't understand the technology, but they tell me it's all good. Kind of
1: <laughs> well, I, I don't it's understand kind of the technology either. <laughs> so, now, my very limited knowledge of acting, cause I'm definitely not an actor, I'd be really bad at it. My yeah. un- knowledge of acting is that it's all about existing in the moment when you're performing, okay? Now with what's going on with COVID and the change of what's going on around you and what's going on in the world, is it harder to feel like you're in that moment when you're performing a scene right now? Well, I haven't. <clears throat>
0: I don't think it's I don't think it changes the job of the actor once they you know as you prepare to shoot a scene you get yourself in a posi- you get yourself into the headspace of the character that you're going to play what's just happened to the character what they want in that moment what they're after in that moment and give yourself over to the you know what the script requires of your character i don't i don't think that covid has cha- <laughs> well i guess we'll find out <laughs> i don't think covid is i don't think covid has changed what the actor has to do you ha- my this is just my feeling about acting is when when i can get lost when i can get carried away with what's going on in the scene When I personally, Bill, can get carried away with the exchange with what's happening in the scene, the thing sort of lifts off the page and it starts to feel like an improv. It's not an improv because everybody knows, you know, I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to say. We all know at the end of the scene, he's going to pull a gun. You know, it's not an improv, but it feels like an improv. It feels like you don't know what's coming next. It, it, it is. And when it, you know, and when it works, when it, you know, when you're able to do that, because you're playing with other actors who are in, you know, into the same game, into the same, you know, the same improv, it's fantastic. I'm thinking especially of, like, I did some blacklist with James Spader. And from the, from the very first time we sat and read the scene together, you could tell we were both just locked in to the moment it was this thing was just going to percolate and happen in front of your eyes and it was easy and it was effortless and every time we finished a take the room went oh, shit. you know <laughs> so yeah and that's how you know when you've done it well yeah anyway
1: when that chemistry is occurring is it because the writing is you know is it part of the writing is it the acting is just natural chemistry can you act in create chemistry? Or is it just natural? You, you can create a fair amount
0: of it yourself. But I mean, obviously if the scene is well written, it's easier because what that means is they've, the writers, the writer has tapped into something truthful and human about these humans. There's something genuine or truthful about it. And as soon as you, as soon as you latch on to that, it starts stirring things in you and the scene lifts off the page. It's much harder to do if the writing isn't good. Then, you know, <laughs> if, if the, you know, if, then, then you, do, you have to work twice as hard. Yeah. Then you have to, then you have to invent things that make it feel truthful. Now,
1: you know? Now, excuse my my lack of knowledge about the acting itself but what I when you're acting against an individual okay who yeah. is you're supposed to be speaking to another actor but he's not um in the shot usually there's an actor or standing nearby who I, I think you play the lines off it yeah. might like
0: that does the off screen lines, right. yeah
1: so when you're with COVID, does that person still exist there, or are they off the set because of the new situation? <laughs> I think
0: uh, I, I again I'm not exactly certain. I think they're still there, but they're not close. Okay. They're they're like you know, eight ten feet further away than they might have been. Yeah, something like that.
1: Well, I, I mean, it's just fascinating. I mean, I, you have such a fantastic job, and obviously, before we do an interview, we do some research on you, or I do some research on you to figure out you know to learn a little about your backstory. It sounds like you've been a performer literally your entire life. <laughs> From since you were um, a little kid. There's actually a story that I read that in high school you performed as banjo Bill Sadler, where you played the banjo and you did stand up comedy. That's right. Were you a better banjo player or joke teller? I don't know. They were terrible they were terrible jokes. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm not sure
0: whatever possessed me to attempt stand up. I was okay at it. I you know. I won all sorts of school awards and things. Almost immediately, uh, I, I, about the same time I discovered rock and roll and started a garage band with some friends yep. in our garage up in Buffalo. And we were called the Night Riders.
1: Oh, that's K-N-I-
0: cool. K-N-I-G-H-T-R-Y. Der
1: the cool version, <laughs> the cool version, and,
0: uh, <laughs> and we and, and it was great. We could you know we just did we did covers, but it was great. We play at dances. We play at you know the Grange Hall. We play at Christmas party. We play anywhere. Battle of the bands. We were loud and did a killer version of Louis Louie. You know, a Louis Louie Oh, Lord. that one. Anything with three chords, we could like murder because we were so good. Yeah. And then I discovered acting. Somewhere in my senior year in high school, I discovered acting and it just blew the other two things away. It was, I was, I could tell I was good at it. But I was also, the writing, the writers that I was getting exposed to were such wonderful minds. I mean, Shakespeare and Chekhov and, you know, all of these There was the second play that I ever did was called The Subject Was Roses, was a Pulitzer Prize winning drama, a little three person family drama that Frank Gilroy uh, wrote it. And I I was just blown away. I was blown away by how good the writing was and how easy it was to get lost in this stuff. And uh, so I put the banjo down and the guitar (laughs) down. (laughs) started this career
1: see when my day job i'm a high school english teacher and i tell uh, my students especially the ones who are interested in writing well not a short story writing or poetry or writing lyrics to if you want to let's say if your fascination is science fiction writing or you want to write comedy or a comic book or whatever you need to read and write all forms of literature, whether or not it's drama Fine. or romance, Jane Austen doesn't matter. You got to read a range to get that sense. For acting, yeah. Yeah. the same that, no, right?
0: I agree. I would agree. I think the the
1: you know the broader
0: your knowledge of what's out there, what's been written before. There are some magnificent uh, minds have worked at this stuff. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel yeah <laughs> um, and you and eventually uh, I, I think anyway uh, eventually you if you stick with it, if you develop your own style, you develop your own voice and your own style and you steal from <laughs> steal from the steal from the best right you know don't steal from idiots <laughs> steal from the best and don't get caught. Um, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You, could, you, know, a, right. you have I a lot to, you know, no one's, we all stand on the shoulders of the people that went before us. You know, nobody's reinventing the wheel.
1: I, I, um, I tell my young writers basically to find a style that you like, of someone you've read. And yeah, you start off a little bit with a, a courteous copying of a, a style. And eventually over time, you can create right. your own version of that. And I right. imagine the acting has any art I, I imagine works the same way.
0: I think so. I think so. I think, you know, you dance any art like that. How do you learn to paint? You know, you, you learn techniques, you know, you have to master techniques. If you're going to have any vocabulary at all, you need to develop a vocabulary. And then when you have something to say, you can, you know, you apply what you've learned, you apply those, you know, and hopefully it's, your own take on it it's your own it's your own painting it's not a copy of Vincent Van Gogh even though he inspired you know years and years ago so I was inspired by uh, there were so many actors I won uh, George C. Scott was one of my favorite actors and Laurence Olivier and, and Brando and James Dean, and there were all of these, you know, Al Pacino, when The Godfather came out, I wanted to be all of those guys. I wanted to to be Robert Duvall. Um, I just thought, you know, that's it. That's what, you know, that's what it looks like when, that's what it sounds like when it's real, when it's right. And so, you know, I think every actor goes through a period when you're imitating the people that you admired so much. But eventually, you know, you eventually you find your own voice. You know, you, you don't sound like <laughs> Marlon Brando. You can't do that all your life. <laughs> that's, you know? that's really good. <laughs> no one's no one's going to hire you for very much.
1: <laughs> now, how how long did it take for you to feel like you found your voice? I mean, well, by the way, that was a brilliant Brando impression. By the way, but <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> Well, I'm to be anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like, but like, when, when did you find that? Like, you were now William Sadler as an actor, instead of borrowing from these other actors. I'm, I'm not
0: sure when I finally, you know, when my voice became my own. And it's also, it's also weird because I, I'm, I tend to be very, try to be different from one role to another. It's so. You know, like the Grim Reaper is a big—he's an over-the-top Czechoslovakian, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. Spirit, <laughs> spirit
0: creature or something—and very different from what I did in Shawshank or or anything else. But I cannot i don't know. Eventually, over the years, you do it enough. You know, you. You find your voice, you find your style. I, I, I would have trouble explaining to somebody how I go about, get a script for the first time and start reading it. You know The process of breaking down the scenes, breaking, figuring out who this character is. I'm not sure I could, there's so many things that are sort of automatic by now. Decisions that I make quickly and choices that i make now that i had to think about years and years ago but i don't think about them much now they you know well i just like pick up <laughs> it's like pick up the <laughs> instrument pick up the instrument and start playing you know?
1: well that's probably when it feels most natural at that point when you make it to the point yeah. where you're almost as a reflex doing the role or, or am i simplifying it too much No, I, I
0: I think so. I have a lot more fun now doing it than I used to. I used to fret about acting a lot and get angry about, you know, it's not good enough, or I'm not getting the roles that I should get, and that kind of thing. And then finally, that's just damaging, you know. It's just it doesn't. It's not helpful, you know.
1: Now, now, one thing,
0: it's better to be grateful. Yes. for what's coming along and knock that out of the park
1: now you can't now you, you earned a master's degree at Cornell University for acting now yeah. is is there a direct line from what you learn at Cornell for what you're doing now I know sometimes as a teacher I feel like I don't always see the correlation between what I learned in college and what happens in the classroom is acting different where what you learned at Cornell you see your the exact direct line from that point to what you're doing now
0: I there are lots of things that I learned at Cornell that I've sort of incorporated into the way I approach acting. There are things that I learned at Cornell that I know I'll never do. You know, <laughs> like I learned. You know, you don't have to actually bleed if to, you know. <laughs> you you don't have to poke yourself with pins to feel things.
1: Method um, acting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a limit to how methody you know i care to be anyway yeah Um, but yeah i i I think i know what you mean i I don't think i ever got a job because i have the degree you know i have mfa after my name somewhere on some paper i don't think anyone has ever hired me because of that but they may very well have hired me because of because i have a a toolkit i have a a set of skills that I walk around with that I can apply to your job, yeah. um, that I picked up there.
1: You know. Now you also had a, a minor in speech, speech language pathology. Well, now a couple of questions on that one. First, is yeah. that more of a backup plan? And two, is there again a line from what you learned as a speech pathologist and, and, and what you took that into how to perform as an actor?
0: That was that was really my father when I went away to college. I had just discovered acting and he was sort of pushing me to stay with the stand-up comedy. I think he thought that was a much better way to go. <laughs> I don't know. They were they were his kind of corny jokes, I think. <laughs> Dad jokes. But, and he thought this acting thing, you know. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. how's that even work? I don't think we went to the theater once my entire childhood. I grew up on a farm outside of Buffalo and, you know, we'd go to the movies once in a while, but it was just outside of the realm of possibility. And my dad insisted when I went away to college that I get a degree in some, like a, a teaching certificate so that I could be a teacher. If the acting thing went belly up, I could be a teacher, um, which was, you know, that's smart. It was wise of him. Because 90-something percent of the actors that, you know, there are a lot of people that start out in this business in, the, in college. And then, you know, after a few years of rejection, they decide maybe I should go back to school and become a teacher or, you know, something else. Do something else because this isn't panning out.
1: That it, it, it sounds uh-huh. a lot like my father. I went to school for anthropology for college. Um, my father's like, You got to go. Backup needs to be a teacher. You need to become a teacher. That sounds fascinating. See, that sounds fascinating it, to me. It, it was, a, fasc- <laughs> it was a, it's a fascinating idea, really. And it just is no jobs out there, really. And my father was like, You need to back up the teacher. And I told my father, I remember to this day, I know better. I'm going to become an anthropologist. Ten years later, I went back to school for teaching. And there it is. I'm now a teacher. <laughs> you know, it happens. It ha-
0: Yeah, 99 per- you know, I don't know what the percent is, but. I don't there's like one other actor that I know that I went to school with who is still working, uh, who's working as an actor. And the rest have gone into, you know, they're the head of the drama department at this school, or they're head, you know, they've stayed in the world of theater, but they're not, but they're not performing, you know, they're not out there, you know, auditioning,
1: uh,
0: surviving on what they make as an actor.
1: It it really seems like with your in your background you know once again you did the stand-up comedy you're a musician and it seems like in many ways that kind of just led to bill and ted playing death which is one of the most hysterical roles i've ever seen <laughs> i i i loved the original bill and ted i bogus journey as a whole i wasn't a huge fan but your performance of death was so phenomenal it was so funny the way you performed it the that just little hit of humor and humanity brought to death was just fantastic how did you get that role that was a, I auditioned for that role. I was, I had just
0: done Die Hard 2, I think, had just come out. This was 1990 when I auditioned for it. And I did that Czechoslovakian accent because I, I picked that up back in the theater. I had done 11 years of theater in New York and Broadway and all the rest of that before I ever did a movie. When I got to Los Angeles, None of that matters to anybody. Nobody cares that you were on Broadway. You know, it's like, what TV show are you on? What, do you have any film on yourself? And I had just done Die Hard 2 and Hard to Kill and The Hot Spot. And I was, you know, this audition came along and I did the funny Czechoslovakian accent and I went home and I, you know, it was funny but I didn't hear anything for like three weeks or something. And then Karen Ray, the costume or the, the casting director called me at home and said, Bill, I need you to come back and do it again, but go to a Halloween store and get some gray makeup or gray hair stuff and make your hair gray and black out your teeth. Cause you're too young. They think you're too young. <laughs> and I thought, I I, th- I mean, I thought, li- literally, that's going to look just awful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I called the makeup man from Die Hard 2, Scott Edo. I told him my problem. And he said, come on over to my house in Marina del Rey, and we'll do it. Uh, I'll make you look old. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he did. He made me look about 70. And.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you don't look 70 and- now, so... <laughs>
0: And I drove from his apartment to Orion Studio, did the audition again,
1: and got the job. That, that's that's cool. I mean, especially considering, like I said, you came from Die Hard too. I mean, for a, quite a while, you seemed like you were going to be the heavy in movies. Uh, and would you... Yeah. you have typecasting? Like, did you think to yourself, shit, I'm going to be known as that guy?
0: Well, I don't... You know, the I'd probably still be playing heavies like die hard too. If I hadn't if I hadn't I wanted to show Hollywood that there was more, that there was there was a sense of humor there, that there was a, some there was someone playful there. You know, because they're as you know, people they're very happy to keep using actors over and over again as the same, you know, no, he's great at that. He's great at that. Let's get him in for the bad guy. You know
1: and honestly it seems to be the same way you know oh that actor would is for that role you know that's how i see him yeah
0: and, and it's not their job to stretch the actors or find things that they're they might you know right right so it's, it's they're they're worried about putting together you know their show they want the best villain best you know supporting cast whatever and I was looking for something fun to be funny in. I was literally I was looking for something you know I wanted to show people that there was a sense of humor that I I wasn't this you know I didn't have to play uh, this uh cold-blooded you know steely-eyed cold-blooded murderer all the time because I figured that was going to get old
1: yeah now did You you did you think to yourself when you were getting those villainous roles what is it about me that just screams, I'm a villain? <laughs> like, do you wonder, like, look in the mirror going, I don't see it. I, no, I, yeah, I don't see
0: it. I never saw it. I'm one of the, I'm one of the nicer people I know. And I wouldn't, I don't know. But I got to Los Angeles and it was instant. They took one look at me and said, he could kill a room full of people and then, <laughs> and then sit down and eat a sandwich. <laughs> you know, he's just yep. yeah, no, he's that kind of he had that kind of cheekbones or the <laughs> Nazi look or the Yeah. some of it I have to say was just acting. They I would audition for these roles. He's like the guy in Die Hard too. And uh, you know, I can go to those places, you know what I mean? I yeah. I I already had the I had the tools, I had the chops to go to play that guy. And but Hollywood has always been happy to keep people, once they figure out, oh no, he's great at that romantic comedy thing. We would never cast him as a killer, you know?
1: Yeah. Not- now, 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 when you're um, just to segue to Die Hard, just for a moment, because you brought it up. In Die Hard yeah. 2, you got to basically fight Bruce Willis one how cool was that and two is there because when you're playing the villain and there's that kind of and you're doing the fight scene is there a, a feeling of like machismo like you got to prove you're tougher or show that you're tougher you don't want to give up um yeah there's a lot of
0: testosterone around that set you can't they're all there always is and the stunt i mean the stunt guys everybody's you know but you've been hired to be that you know you've yeah. been you read the script that's You know these guys are—they're no nonsense. From the minute you see him doing that tai chi naked, you know he's killing five people in this hotel room that aren't there. (laughs) It's like (laughs) this guy guy is serious. Yeah, Um, I—you know—I don't know what he's up to, but it—it's not good. (laughs) You know, right? It's—it's not going to be—it's not going to end well.
1: Now did you build up for that role or were you already, you know, pretty built up? Oh
0: yeah, no, I went I was in the I lived in the gym for like 3 months or something or 2 months. I, I, I there there wasn't a nude scene when I got the rule. I only found out about it at the costume fitting. And the costume fitting there was we finished the costume fitting and there was I said, "What's up? What's he wearing in the hotel room?" scene and Renny Harlan the director who's from finland looked at the costume designer and back at me and then said well bill actually i was thinking you would be
1: nude <laughs> what do you think
0: it was very he was very tentative you know like oh, oh i i should have brought this up before and i just said i thought about it for a minute and I should have called my agents and said, you know, we need to ask for more money, but I I was so happy to be working. I said, okay, just push it off to the end of the shoot. Yeah. Make sure that it's like the last thing we shoot so that I have time to get into a gym and then, and hire me a, a trainer. Yeah. And they did. And they, you know, they, beat the crap out of me for <laughs> two months or something. And that's, that's what, but I didn't want to, I had seen the first Die Hard. I, you know, that was a huge, terrific film. You know, it was a blockbuster. And so I knew the second one was going to get a lot of attention. It was going to be the summer action movie of the year, you know, and I didn't want to look at it when I'm 60 and say, I wish I'd done a few sit-ups, you know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Look
0: at that! Look at that ass! (laughs) You know, but it it worked out. It it worked out well. I was a vegetarian at the time, so I think the I got ripped. I sort of got ripped quickly.
1: Yeah,
0: I lost the I lost that layer of fat quickly that covers the muscles.
1: And it's it's funny that you went like I said from that to Bogus Journey, where you played death and you're playing a cello and a, is is it really you playing the cello and guitar in those scenes that you're do you know how to play those or was it completely oh, acting? that's all acting. I've I thought, I really thought I played, you No, i played.
0: I've played stringed instruments all right. my life I'm, ukuleles and mandolins and banjos and guitars so I mean I understand how it works they you know I can fake it good but I don't play the stand-up bass and I don't play the electric bass either
1: well, like you actually, I really thought it was you knowing the, especially knowing your background with the banjo and everything. And I think yeah. also what I think was fantastic about what you did with death there's an idea of death, and at least maybe a concept of mine of death, you know, idea of the, the reaper is that he's not a bad dude. He has a, a rough job, in other words, takes people from the land of living to live into the dead, but he's not a bad dude. It, or you wouldn't think It's, it's his gig. And people I thought, like him. Yeah, and I thought with death, yeah, every, every, yeah, and and when you performed as death were you thinking to yourself is that as almost like a figurative idea of death? Like death would not be necessarily a tough, bad tempered guy. He would maybe have this kind of almost like a need to be liked as he is in that movie. Well,
0: I have to give credit to Chris Ed and Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. They, the writers, they created this, they wrote him to be really scary at the beginning just you know uh, death he's death and our heroes are in big trouble they've been murdered and here is this f- figure all in black that we've all been terrified of you know forever until they challenge him to the games and start to win and he starts to come unraveled because nobody's ever beaten him at these g- at games before you know it's And it's a takeoff, I didn't know it at the time, I don't think, but it was a, you know, it's a direct send up of Ingmar Bergman's Seventh Seal, where the character of death plays chess with the knight for his soul. We play Clue and Twister and Battleship and he loses and loses and finally is humiliated and petulant he just devolves and he he devolves into this you know uh, you know uh, this uh you know he can't hold on to being this scary dude anymore and then in the course of the journey he starts to get needy he wants them to like him you know he wants to be he wants to be one of the guys he wants to be one of the band and which i think is was really smart it was really smart of the writers to it, it, it because everybody does, you know. Even the scariest dudes, they want to be loved. They want to be, you know. They want to be. They want to be accepted by the cool guys. What about my butt? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? and, and I must say, your anyway, your facial expression. That your
0: question, oh, but, definitely did. But I, I thought that was. A, you, no, I was going to say, it. just that. Pro- that progression from terrifying figure to, you know guy who wants to be in the band on into bill and ted three where we meet where we see him i don't know if you've seen it yet
1: oh of course i saw i've seen it twice
0: um where he's he's come out the other end of the music industry and he's been chewed up and spit out by the recording industry they didn't like his albums he's living in hell he's been demoted uh, he's like no it's all going it's all turned to crap because he helped them back in bogus journey he's being punished now so when when they show up again there's some bad blood you know which they get over
1: and like i said you did such a good job and i think it's really the like the the exasperation in your voice and your facial expressions that really sold especially like i said as you during the games the game sequence did you uh, and uh, even when um, I can't remember the exact words from Bill and Ted, but he's like when Death was like, "Damn right!" When he was to you know keep you know, play the next set, mm-hmm. it was so brilliant. brilliant. Uh, and and like, w- were you practicing these in the mirror, like your expressions for what happens when he loses?
0: No. In fact, no. I, when I put on the Czechoslovakian accent and the robes and the three hours of makeup, he sort of becomes this person, and it's very freeing. I have trouble turning him off. Once he's rolling, it's like (laughs) he's, he's, I keep talking. The scene is over and I keep going, you know, I keep ad-libbing stuff. And the first, that whole, the game sequence that we shot was the very first day of, my first day on the set. It was the very first time I'd met Alex and Keanu. I was the, I was very nervous, you know because they had been filming already. They had done a movie together already. And I was stepping into this thing, this ongoing, you know, I was going to, I was jumping on the train and, and everybody was worried, you know, is it going to work? Is, is he too young? Is they had never tried the makeup before. And no, we, you know, we hadn't shot an inch of the Czechoslovakian accent before. And fortunately it just like, it was funny and it worked. And, and, they everybody watch the producers and everybody watched the dailies the studio watched the dailies that from that day that first day of game sequence i think and from then on it was sort of all smiles like every, <laughs> every, every, i would show up on the set and they were like yeah good whatever you want to do go. go you go it was like cuz it was because it was funny and it was you know it, it I I, ha- I had embodied this creature, and he clearly had strong feelings about things. So <laughs> that was good, you know, and it was working. So they, but I remember thinking on the very first day. I remember producers and everyone sort of crowding around the set, watching and like, you know, yeah, just oh. Is this gonna work is this gonna work and and then there was a noticeable relaxation the next day and the day after it was like off oh. so then we were just off and running
1: well i mean the character death definitely does steal the movie on some level i mean he is just that ph- phenomenal of a character he just you know he immediately Gets your laughter, he makes it an extremely enjoyable movie. And like I said, I still think the game scene was some of my best sequences in um, especially a comedy movie. And I and I was wondering in the game sequence, were there games that you guys tried that you didn't show in the movie, or was that all the ones that you guys did?
0: No, that's what was in the script. Them, was, that was what that's what they had written.
1: The Twister and Battles and, and uh, Battleship were my two favorite ones that you guys showed. And <laughs> Clue. Oh. as I say my
0: favorite, I think my favorite one is Clue. Was Colonel Master did it in the study <laughs> with the candlestick. Yeah. Sorry, Death. It was Professor Plum. <laughs> I said Plum. It was like he, he lies. He's like <laughs> he cheats. He's like
1: yeah Well, especially because, like I said, well, the nice thing, the cool thing about Death is once again, someone who's never had a friend. He doesn't know how to socially interact with anybody, <laughs> you know. And I thought it was once again very clever. Here's an individual. Who is socially inept, and then he meets these two cool guys or fun guys, and he wants to be a friend. He wants wants to have his first his first friend. He wants to be one of the guys.
0: Yeah.
1: And and again, it was it was clever.
0: It was a very Um, nice journey.
1: Now, when when you go on to face the music, now you're going um, third, almost thirty years later from the original bogus journey. Is it hard to rediscover death now that it's been that many years since you've seen the character, or can you just click it right back on? I was surprised. It was
0: how easy it all came back. <laughs> was, I
1: mean, I'm older. It
0: was harder to do the physical stuff, but as soon again, as soon as the makeup was on and the robes were on, and I started to do that Czechoslovakian accent, was there everything? It was just like he just like popped back into life, and and working with Alex and Kiana the. And Smara and Bridget was just fantastic. They were, I thought the chemistry between, this is, this is off the topic a little, but I thought the chemistry with Alex and Kiana was extraordinary. It was really good. And I loved watching them, I loved watching them, the two of them throughout the movie, play off, just play off each other. Like they were like two kids again, you know, just not they don't know what to do and this is important stuff they've got to save the universe and they've got no time you know but just i just loved watching the way they bounce off of each other that's it was part of what made the first two movies so much fun and and it was right there again in the third one
1: and and, yeah and i think one thing i I, I love about bill and ted and my, my wife joey lynn watches it with me all the movies and i think what i like about it is that this is such a fun movie. It doesn't have, you know, it's not, especially with all the weird, horrible things going on in the world. It's nice to see a movie that just, it just makes you feel good. You know, it's just a good hearted, nice movie. And and I think in this time more than almost any other time, it feels like it was absolutely necessary.
0: I agree. I think it's, um, and, and, you know, I, it took 29 years or something, 30 years to get, to finally come around to doing a third movie. But the reason that they're doing a third movie is because we really needed a third movie. You know, the world really needed to hear from Bill and Ted again, I think Um, just a little bit of that innocence and hopefulness and, you know, there's nothing cynical about it. There's, yeah, it's a great, it's a, the, the time, I thought the timing was just fantastic for you know, to come yeah. out in the middle of a pandemic with.
1: Uh, and, and based on the plot itself, you know, with them, um, t- you know, 30 years later, it feels like the mo- time had to be 30 years later in real time to make to, for all the characters to get there, you know what I'm saying? And have it right. work for those characters. It felt, I mean, I know once again, obviously it's 30 years later because it's how long it took for it to happen. But when you think about what the plot and movies movie is about, it feels like that's how long it takes for... In an individual to reach those epiphanies.
0: I think that's probably true. I thought it was very smart of them to not try to play 26 again, you know, or whatever they were. They're not teenagers anymore. You know, they've, there's a lot of years. And to let that, to let the years show and still have the that contagious spirit still be there. I thought that was just the... You know, I thought that was just great,
1: and also once again, as an audience member who got to watch it, you know, you know, fresh, it it was nice because it also a lot of the audience and maybe including myself have been there. When you think to yourself, "I'm now 40 or 50 or whatever, what the hell happened?" And I think <laughs> Bill and Ted is kind of that same boat. We are like, "Holy crap, oh, yeah. I'm this old! Oh, what the hell just happened? <laughs> oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, like yeah, exactly. You wake up one day and it's like.
0: Yeah, no, you're 60. You're what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's a part of you still feels like you did when you were 20-something or other, you know? It's just that, you know, now your knees hurt. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> this this doesn't work, and that doesn't work, and, uh, you know, and, and, it's, and, a, it's an alarming thing to wake up and find yourself getting old.
1: And I do find, I do think it's a common denominator of all people, all individuals, adults, who think, you know, if I could have that one chance to do that thing that I wish I had done, you know, if you're a writer, if I had a chance, if I really did sit down to finish that novel, if I had just done this, you know, I could, once again, enjoy that moment. You know, have that might, might be youthful again by accomplishing that.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm trying not to have regrets about um, my career. I don't know. I don't know what's coming up, you know, for me. I don't feel like I'm finished yet. In some ways, I feel like I'm better I'm a better actor now than I ever used to be. I know I have more fun doing it now. I'm much I'm freer. I'm f- freer at it now, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I started a YouTube channel oh. during this pandemic. It's called William Sadler, The Kitchen Tapes. Very like cool. Bob Dylan like the basement tapes for Dylan. Yeah, yeah. Mine are the kitchen tapes <laughs> and they're like I've been writing songs and I perform some of these songs and I tell stories about you know just war, war stories from the filming of this and the filming of that. Yeah yeah so I don't know I'm in a I'm in a good place I think.
1: <laughs> well yeah I, I mean
0: like- I find myself strangely in a good place if I stopped right now, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be unhappy with. You know, I love the Reaper. I love the way people respond to him. I love Shawshank, and you know, it's nice. That movie is like the number one in the IMDb, you know, most popular movies of all time, or something like that. I'm like, you're kidding me. That's really. You know how. You know, not many actors get to you know, get to be a part of classic things like that.
1: Well, listen, you've been I, in so many. I think that's really fun. Well, Lisa, you've been in so many brilliant movies. I mean, one of my favorites that you were in is Tales from the Crypt Demon Night*, where you, you know, and, and I think <laughs> it, it was so fantastic. And once again, it was, I mean, you were great. Billy Zane was great. And I think what I liked a lot about your character yeah. is that because I think because you've spent so much time playing the villain, there's that moment near the beginning where you're thinking, is he the villain? You know, is there's something wrong with this guy a little bit. Right. It takes you a while to go, Oh crap. He really is not the villain. And you kind of twist it just a little bit. Right. Right.
0: He's a badass dude, but he's not the one you got to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was a, yeah, I, that's another one of those that, you know, we did it for a dollar 98 back in, I don't even know what year that was. And we shot it in a, it was not an expensive movie. But we shot it in an abandoned airplane hangar in Sherman Oaks. <laughs> it's it like, and Ernest Dickerson, I, I thought he did a fantastic job. It's a, like, it's an insane cast. I mean, that cast of actors—you couldn't get them together for love or money. Now they're, you know, just a wonderful cr- group of actors. Kicking ass, just kicking ass. The movie is ha- the movie has had a whole new life. Like it's really fun to, you know, when we did it, opened, it ran for a while, it closed. You know, that's it's you know it lives in video. You can go to Blockbuster and rent it. I guess uh, yeah. you know that was that's that's where movies go to die.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but. Shawshank was the same way people discovered that after it left the movie theaters, bogus journey, people discovered that. I mean, it had a run here in, you know, in the theaters, but it didn't, you know, I guess, I don't, maybe it made back its money, but it, I think it was more popular in England actually, but it opened and then it closed and, you know, it's just been remarkable people discovering it over the years and showing it to their kids. And I don't know, it's just
1: a, so, so well, what do you think? What do you think some movies do better late, you know, after the fact, you know what I'm saying? Like they're better when rediscovered. They grow, they than they grow are. on you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know.
0: I'm not sure why that is sometimes.
1: Cause it's, um, it's kind of funny. Like um, what's the movie? Shit. The Jimmy Stewart, it's a wonderful life bombed when it first came out. Now, it's yeah. part of everyone's Christmas. Episode, yeah. But it, was, it bombed really badly when it first premiered. I don't know. The, when movies open, especially these days when they open in theaters,
0: they're opening against other movies that are vying for the number one box office and the this and that. And if they don't make a lot of money right away, the movie theaters, pull, they pull them out of the theater. They'll replace it with something else that's hotter, you know? And that, that's just sort of this, you know, survival of the fittest. And a lot of really good movies don't catch fire like that. They And, and Shawshank is a great example of that, you know? It, it opened in the movie theaters and it closed. And then it was nominated for six or seven Academy Awards. And they put it back in the movie theaters before the awards happened and then they took it out again you know and it really got discovered on Turner classic movies and in video rentals the video rental world I I don't know maybe it's gentler maybe it's like people you know they didn't get a chance to see it in the movie theaters and they try it at home for you know it's less money it's uh, there's less pressure you can sit back and and you know what i mean it's not such a big deal you oh. um, and you know maybe it's just a maybe it's just a gentler place for movies to find their audience rather than in the movie theaters where ticket prices are what they are and there's other movies trying to knock you off the you know
1: now yeah. are, are you some actors say they can't watch the movies that they're in. Are you able to watch the movies you're in and get the same level of enjoyment? Or are you like, some actors say they can't see themselves. They want to see themselves on screen, you know, cause they're sensitive about it. Are, are you able to do that? And are you able to separate I, yourself from the movie? I can watch myself in the movies. I, I, it's
0: hard for me to be objective about it. It's hard for me to watch and just enjoy it. Like the rest of the audience enjoys it. As soon as I come on, I'm remembering you know, how I'm remembering everything about everything that I decided about the character and everything that was going on that day on the set and so on. My head, I'm always, I tend to sit there and be, you know what it's like listening to your own voice on a tape recording?
1: Oh yeah, that's rough. (laughs) You
0: know, a tape cassette, uh, uh, a digital recording of your voice. And you, you hear your voice back on this, recording and you say, I don't sound like that. That's crazy. I don't sound like that. Um, you know, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit like that when you watch yourself and when I watch myself on screen, I just like, Oh, it's not, it's, you know, I just try to get over it because it, I, you, You have to watch, you know, and sometimes I can appreciate sometimes, you know, when the acting is really good, I can get caught up. I can get care. I can get swept away by the story too. But I, but then I sit there and think, Oh, why'd you do that with your hands? Look what you're doing. Look what you
1: do. Relax your mouth. What do you do? (laughs) Uh, You know? Yeah. I I must admit doing these podcasts, I usually walking my dog. I try to listen to some of the podcasts, usually from the other interviewers, and I can't listen to my own. There's something about listening to a podcast that I'm doing that I just get like, oh, crap, why did I do that? Or did I just say (laughs) um again? Why did I say um again? (laughs) You know, it's hard.
0: Yeah, you do say um a lot.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I do remember that. No, I'm... You
0: you don't at all.
1: It's okay. But like I said, it's hard because you get very critical of yourself when you listen to or um watch you know saying because your performance and you can't enjoy the conversation you're like crap i could have phrased this better or you know is there any chance we'll see bill and ted four i
0: I wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't hold my breath i don't Uh, think so i think they tied it up pretty well with the third one i thought that was i thought that was a really satisfying end to the bill and ted trilogy i suppose the daughters could launch you know time traveling you know i guess i'd be surprised if someone doesn't try to do a bill and ted 4 but (laughs) yeah no i think i think alex and keanu are probably ready to hang
1: it up that's Um, all right but either way i don't i definitely want to thank you very much for speaking with me you um were a fantastic guest it was a great honor
2: and we're back how was that guys what do you think I think that was awesome William Souther Mr. Souther thank you so much for coming on the show spend some time with Jabs talking about your career we really appreciate that everybody out there who has not gone and seen Bill and Ted face music you need to check it out it's a hilariously good movie and uh, you know as always he was great in it as death Uh, so again thank you so much thank you for listening to the show today we really appreciate you your time the time you spend with us here on Spoiler Country it's top notch But if you liked that, if you liked hearing us talk to to William Sadler, go check out Spoilerverse.com. Check out all of our back issues. We have interviews with people like Robert Wool and Rob Paulson and Jim Cummings and so many more great people out there. You know, Veronica Taylor, the voice of Ash Ketchum from Pokemon and so many more amazing people in the industry out there we talk to. You need to go out there. You need to check it out. Any podcast, you can go search for Spoiler Country or go to the website. Check out our back issues. Also check out all of our other awesome shows that are up there like Rich and the Geek Unplug on Warriors, Funny Book Forensics, Narrative Gunslingers, Nerds from the Crypt, and this list goes on and on. And while you're there, check out reviews and previews and articles. We've got a bunch of new writers coming on to write articles about various comics they've read or various things they want to talk about. So you're definitely gonna have daily content on Swilliverse.com that you don't want to miss. So head over there, check out the articles and podcasts, leave some comments, and and just have fun. Have fun with it, it's awesome. Oh, oh one more thing. Go to the store link. Buy a T-shirt, buy a hoodie, buy a mask. Look fly as hell while you do, it and help support the site. All right, as you know, we've got one more thing to do, and that is, in our notions of podcasts, we are Cthulhu, and as Cthulhu compelled you to do, open the mind, and read more. And reading can be reading a book, a comic book it could be listening to an audio book, could be watching with reading. This means, in my opinion, reading just means take in some entertainment to expand your mind. It'd be nice to